80s action movies on the cheap. By Daniel R. Budnick. This book explores the excitement, audacity, and sheer weirdness of 80s low-budget action cinema. Providing detailed commentary on 284 low-budget high-impact pictures. Available now. Hey everyone, it's Dan, your main host from Eventually Supertrain. Yeah, I'm really pushing my book, 80s Action Movies on the Cheap, because I think it's a real... What do you think about that? Uh, so yeah, hey, Dan here. Uh, we're hanging out for episode 71 of Eventually Supertrain, the short-lived TV show podcast, giving uh, the short-lived shows that never got enough love, a whole bunch of love, and one day we will get to Supertrain, I promise you. No, ma'am, there's no need to scream. We're all going to have a great time this episode. It's going to be awesome because we're starting off with Amy the Conqueror and myself discussing episode 10 of Erie, Indiana. I like that guy. I forgot what I was. Oh, and we are ending with the great Amanda Reyes and myself discussing episode 3 of Masquerade. But in the middle, yep, you guessed it. Mitchell Hadley's back. Bourbon Street Beat begins again. We are going back to 1960 and episode 21 of Bourbon Street Beat. Yeah! So Amy the Conqueror, myself, Erie, Indiana. Mitchell is back. Bourbon Street Beat. Amanda and myself, Masquerade. Let us dive right in. Better weird than dead. Written by Vance DeGeneres. Directed by Bob Balaban. December 1st, 1991. Marshall's hanging out with Simon. It's daylight savings time night. They're setting the clock back. But Indiana doesn't do that. But Marshall's doing it. His parents tell him not to do it. He does it anyways. When he wakes up the next day, he's all alone. There's no one in the town. Although we keep cutting to the town and everyone seems to be there. So Marshall is out rambling around on his own, trying to figure out what is going on. And he meets a milkman who seems to know what's happening. He meets a gal his age who has also been missing for some time. And he meets several garbage collectors who basically want to throw him and her into a garbage truck and grind them up into pieces. And it all has something to do with setting the clock back an hour when he shouldn't have and when she shouldn't have 
how do they get back? We'll probably give it away, but maybe we won't. Let's dive on in. Aim of the Conqueror standing by. Spring forward, fall back. We've lost an hour. Well, Marshall has. And he's gone to a very strange place, Erie, Indiana. But Erie, Indiana, outside of the rest of Erie, Indiana. And it's a little weird because there's a very old milkman. There's a very lost young lady. And there are guys who look like the members of Kraftwerk out to kill him. <laughs> that, that's Lost Hour. And that was Amy the Conqueror. Amy, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, let's um let's let's dive into uh, before we begin. Um, daylight savings. Your your thoughts. Do you hate it? Do you like it? Do you, either way, falling back, springing forward. Um, I'm a big fan of the falling back. Not so yes. much the springing forward. I like my sleep, so yes. you know. <laughs> now, um, do you? Does it? Does it take you when you spring forward? Does it take you a while to adjust or? No, not really. No. I don't, you know, it used to. I remember when I was younger and I, I worked on weekends, I hated it oh. um, because I had to get up, you know, and go oh, to work yeah. on Sunday morning. But mm-hmm. I have weekends off now, so Yay. it's been a while. I yes. I it doesn't hit me so hard anymore. <laughs> it, you, you know, it, it all, all, the only thing it does, yeah, is it annoys me on that Sunday. What, what I try to do is what I'll do with the Saturday before if I can is I'll try as early as I can on the Saturday to set my clock an hour ahead. So when it actually goes mm-hmm. an hour ahead, hope my mind is kind of in that spot. But there's always I can always feel the loss of that hour in the morning. Like and um, I don't like it. I don't like losing the hour. Right. Now falling ba- falling back, especially because it's fall is is at a, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I love fall too. That's yeah. Um yeah. is is um falling back is the best. Is about you know I I pick up my dog George and we dance around the yard and the leaves <laughs> and everything like that we just yeah, joyous we do that for an hour and it's and then we burn them all no I'm kidding um what no, so 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 we're on the daylight savings time episode of Erie Indiana and I said that as if most shows have daylight savings time related episodes I can only think of one that's a, a British sitcom called Count Arthur Strong. Uh, which I love, and they had an episode a year or two ago called The Day the Clocks Went Back, where no one can figure out, because everyone's using their phones, but all the phones seem to have done different things, so no one knows what time it is. I thought it went back. No, it went forward. I thought your phone did it. No, you have to program it. No, I don't. What's going on? And so this is, um, so I guess this is starting um, uh, uh, a uh, I don't know. It's daylight savings time is is a is a fun. This is a fun little concept that I like. Um, but was the episode any good? Amy the Conqueror thoughts. Oh, I liked this episode. I did. I thought it was a lot of fun. So um, I'm into the daylight savings uh, TV shows. I guess. <laughs> she's she's the one. When we get, when <laughs> I'm gonna we have to that... seek out more episodes that involve daylight savings. <laughs> When we get either, no, I just savings. I thought this was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what, uh, what what were your favorite favorite bits about it? I mean, I think I think I possibly know what one of them was. It might be one of mine too. Um, well, I I really liked the uh, the milkman. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorites. Um, and then the end, finding out who the milkman was. 
Also, I, I really I like the girl. I think her name was Janice. Um, I've seen her on other things, and I can't yes. for the life of me remember what. Um, but she's very familiar to me. Do you happen to know where or I what else I... she has done, or why she would be so familiar to me? You know, you know what? Here's there's this thing folks do at podcasts called research that I completely didn't do, but I recognized <laughs> her too. No, I Here's... I should have done that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you know what I'm gonna do? Um, you just know the, everything, uh... Dan. So I thought that you would know. <laughs> No, I sat there the whole time. You know what? You know what? My first thought was, uh, you know what? I thought, to me, um, Amy the Conqueror is ageless and timeless. But is that a young Amy the Conqueror? <laughs> that that seems like that would be that to me. For what I know of you, Amy, if you oh got maybe trapped, that's where I saw her before. <laughs> Yes. She's you, and I, I think if 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 you got trapped an hour behind everyone for a year, that would be you. I think, and that—that's what I kept thinking throughout the whole time. Was that's friggin' Amy? But uh, no, I—I I don't know the actual actress though. I'll—I will look her up, and maybe at the end of this episode, we'll do a little addenda, and I will come on and tell you who she is. But yeah, she's very familiar. Yes. So I—I I thought she was cute, and I liked her. Um, I don't know. I just thought this was a fun episode. I—I I liked uh, Marshall's whole attitude about it. Um, you know, like, hey, this is taking enough for me. They're not taking this hour. I want to stay up and watch TV with my friend, you know, like, <laughs> give me this, you know? Yes. Um, also, is it really true that Indiana doesn't um, follow daylight savings? I know nothing I, about Indiana. I've never been there. I, um, I've, been, I've been close to there. I, I, you know, what? I may have, like, driven through there briefly, like, on the way to somewhere else. I thought it was I thought right. it was like Nevada or something that didn't do daylight savings. See, I thought it was like New Mexico or Arizona oh, or something. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's multiple Arizona. states that don't. But <laughs> yeah, I and I almost I almost want to say I shouldn't Google it right now as we're talking, but I'm going to Google it right now as we're talking. <laughs> and um uh, and um but but yeah, I I thought that too. I because when they brought that up, I thought no 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 Indiana. Can you hear me typing, folks? Indiana does daylight savings time, doesn't it? I don't know. Well, that, that uh, just... his father's reasons made me laugh too. It it uh, upsets the cows and the drive-ins lose money. Were <laughs> his yes, reasons yes. why Indiana doesn't? I mean, are these things true? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's I I think. Why uh, from from 1970 until 2006, most of Indiana did not observe daylight savings time. Okay, oh, so at okay. this time so they did not. At this time they didn't. Wow. Okay, yeah. So so uh, April 2006 they started. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's uh, because Jersey did obviously, and so so Marshall yes. wanted that hour. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. interesting because I've always lived in states that did daylight savings time. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I I remember when I found out other states didn't. I'm like, how confusing is that for everything? Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that <laughs> get confusing? Because it's like you're already if you're like you're Especially, driving cross country. No, I was gonna say you're going through time changes sometimes. Like if you're traveling, yes. and then there's the whole daylight savings time. Like forget it, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to move. That. I don't I'm know. losing that much time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's yeah. That. So wow. So that I. You know what? When they said it. His dad says it so, you know, he's a scientist and he says it so definitively that I immediately thought, okay. But then afterwards I was like, oh, that's not right, is it? 
No, but it was. <laughs> wow. Wow. So um, what, what, else, what else did you like about it? Um, I don't know if it's something I liked, but I, well, I guess I didn't like this part. Can I go to there oh. now? Yes, um, please. Why was Marshall, like, so eager to leave his family to go back to Jersey? Again, nothing against New Jersey, but seriously. He was like, oh, well, I'm just going to take this car and get out of town. Like, First off, I, I, was I didn't like, realize really? he could drive. Your yeah, family yeah. is great. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, you're 13. You can't drive. And, uh, yeah, I, I was really surprised by that. I'm like, you're going to leave, and you're going to leave Simon? And whatever, you know, he has random friends that pop in throughout the episodes. So I was really surprised by that. I'm like, they're making uh, Marshall seem like a jerk. (laughs) Like, he's like, "Eh, I don't care. It's it's funny. Part of me is remembering myself at 13 and thinking, I was kind of a jerk. So, so, um, uh, So maybe they're really getting the 13 year old, uh, you know, white boy. American white boy circa that time. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that, that could be... That yeah, I'm very like far this... removed from that. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or I, not. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am at the moment, too. Um, but I, can, I have some memories that, that are fond. Um, but I almost want to say that Marshall has kind of like a roll with it attitude. Because when he arrives, when oh. he goes an hour back, it's like, okay, cool. You know, like the milkman tells him... You doing this almost caused a break in the space-time continuum, and that's why we send these guys with his garbage truck who want to throw you into the garbage truck. He died like the garbage he was. Is that that's not quite the blood feast um, quote, but that's almost. Um, but yeah, they send these guys who are a mix of like it's like if if Michael Pataki was every member of Kraftwerk, they would be these guys. <laughs> So, so, and, and there's something yeah. kind of terrifying too that this space just consists of the milkman who is some sort of savior, people who have been lost in this hour, and the people who want to kill the people who were lost in this hour, and possibly the milkman. Right. It's a really weird space, and the fact too that the space is kind of um, like a studio backlot space even makes it weirder mm-hmm. because it it yeah. feels. Because when they're moving it, m- moving through this space, it, it feels more like a studio backlot than it has in previous episodes, which makes it feel like maybe like when you do this that you're in, you don't maybe like maybe let's go to Jersey. You're not getting to Jersey. You only there's this space and like you're you're enclosed in this space. Sort of. I'm making all this up, but but it just feels like <laughs> it. It almost feels like let's drive to Jersey isn't going to work because right. Jersey Jersey has daylight savings time, so they're ahead or behind. Where are we? No, they're they're no, they're maybe you could go to Jersey. No, I don't. So the mythology of this, Amy, you got to do this book or pamphlet on the daylight saving time episodes and help us out, because <laughs> I just confuse myself heartily, and I I, I just try, try to go straight and narrow. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Oh, oh well, um, I'm sorry. Did I say what I thought of the episode? I don't think I did. Um, I, I no. really, I, I, I quite like it. 
Um, I'll be honest, I don't quite like it as much as the previous couple of episodes. And that's only because I love the concept of them getting lost in the hour. But it, it never mm-hmm. quite fully, it never quite fully for me feels complete. I guess this is what I was just talking about. I wanted more of what this world is that you're like, like with the, what the, um, the place where all the lost stuff goes. I forget, you know. Oh, you, yeah. You, yep. Yeah. I, I wanted more of that sketched in. I wanted sort of more of a, because it's very vague where they are. And um, and and you don't know too like because they they imply that the pe- kids on milk cartons are lost in this hour so surely there should be other kids there but there's just the one right unless they and got mo- caught by the garbage man oh yes I guess so yeah that's um, and then you never uh, see him again which is actually a scary thought that's it's yeah it's like the what is it the kid catcher or whatever from what. Well, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, I, I, or, or is, that, is that the movie I'm, I'm meant to be? You know, it's just, it's just one of those. It's it's great because it's one of those horrible things that pops up in like a kids movie or a kids show where you're like, this is awful. And, but but you don't kind yeah. of like if if they get Marshall, they're going to throw him into a garbage truck and Fuad Ramsey's him. There there's just going to be a smear yeah. of blood going up the thing and and you know that one guy is just going to stand there with his gun in the garbage dump. You know, it's just going to be I didn't think I'd bring blood feast into this discussion of here in Indiana. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate it. So. Oh, yes, yes. Um Oh, I'm sorry. I actually paused. I had it playing right here, and I paused it on two of the um, the craft work type. Oh, three of them, kind of looking at Marshall. And Marshall's got this cool shirt on with a skull, and he's wearing like um. Oh my God! Uh, yes, I noticed that. I love that shirt. I'm like, I want that, that shirt. <laughs> that shirt is awesome, and he's got like these cool um uh like uh time shorts on, like with with clocks on them. Uh, yep. So he, he he should have known he should have known that something was going to happen with time, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's see um, what else did I like about this? Yeah, the milkman is great. His first appearance is great because Marshall runs into the side of his milk truck and kind of passes out. You get this great point of view shot of him kind of leaning over Marshall with a jug uh, like a, a bottle of milk, in which he splashes right in the camera and says, "Get up, get up." <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, who throws milk at somebody to wake up? <laughs> <laughs> and what? The, and the great thing is, I thought that, that you, was you, funny. You 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 immediately think that, but then when you see, then then when I got to the end of the episode, I was like, oh well, that yeah, maybe there's a reason be, <laughs> behind doing that because he's like, okay, right. Well, we'll we'll spoil that in a minute. What what that is, um, because it's I think it's really good. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, th- there's um. There's a lot of stuff going on this episode. This is the first one directed by Bob Balaban, uh, the actor who made the wonderful movie Parents back in 86, 87. I forget. That's Uh, the Randy uh, Quaid. Randy Quaid cannibal family movie. Oh, yep, yep. That's a joy. I think Vestron put it out, or whoever the Vestron is, put out on Blu-ray like two years or so ago. And and of course. And, of course, it came out on VHS like a thousand years ago. No, I'm lying. Um, uh, you know, a few decades ago. But, yeah, Bob Balaban well really... <laughs> yeah, it, it could be. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, uh, but Bob Balaban gives it his all in this one. I think it's 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 there's a lot of fun direction in this one, a lot of fun shots. Mm-hmm. 
and angles and wide angles and, and all sorts of things. And the milkman drives an eerie dairy truck, and we last saw the eerie dairy when they hit Trip um, back in yep. the Dead Letter. So this is I this obviously isn't the same um, milkman, although it could be. He's it's interesting. I guess. I don't quite want to talk about the milkman yet because I have one or two more things, but I do want us to talk about mm-hmm. the milkman. Um, so I'm just I'm just gonna I, I, let me scan my notes. I don't want to I don't want to go off on on tangents here. Um, but yeah, I I I I think it's a, it's a charming. I mean, I wish we got more of. I forget her name. I forget the character's name. And, and, Janice. And, Janice. Why do I think Andrea? Janice? No, Andrea was two episodes ago. Janice. Andrea was, Janice. yeah. Yep. Yes. Andrea Martucci, something like that from a couple episodes ago. Uh, I know. Yeah. I know what you all, yeah, I know what you all are thinking. Guys, wh- how long ago did you watch these episodes? Fourth, fourth out, the same time parents <laughs> came out on VHS? No, come on. There are lots of names to remember. <laughs> um, but I wish there had been a bit more of her because I really liked her and I liked her. Yes. Uh, with Marshall. Um, but they sort of have to set up the premise and set up the world before they introduce her. And she's great because she's like she's become like um, uh, like sort of Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. You know, she's just <laughs> not quite. But but sort of like she's surviving and she's kicking ass and she's just great. Right. Um, and yes. uh and I absolutely love the, um, the, the 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 sequences with. Have you? When's the last time you looked in the back of a milk truck? Well, you know, never. <laughs> or it's been a long time, or whatever. What what am I going to see back there? And I, I forget what his response is, but it's it's something like, um, whatever you expect, what you need or whatever to. you what yeah, you need to. Yes, and. And that's really great because when they look in the back of the milk truck, they see themselves looking out of the milk containers. And they see their family and everything, which is really neat. I really love that. Um, yes. So I guess may, maybe if you'd like to, let's. would you like to tell everyone about the Milkman? Oh, okay. Uh, the Milkman, we find out, is actually Marshall at 105 years old. I'm hoping at some point we find out how he got into this. Uh, lost hour permanently to uh, become, as you call them, the savior of yes. that little slice of the world. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really cool, and I liked Marshall's reaction to it. He didn't yes. get too freaked out or, you know, be like, "Ugh," you know. He was like, "Oh, that's so cool," and I, I really liked that reaction. Um, yeah. And I like that actor. I've seen him in other stuff. Yes. Um, for some reason, I just I like that guy, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head that he's been in. But if you see him, you'll be like, "Oh, it's that guy." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This this was the episode where we failed to look up actors that we liked. Normally, normally yes. that'd be something we do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I it's it's great because the episode foreshadows that uh, the the reveal through the fact that the milkman says stuff like isn't like isn't that weird or that's cool or he says stuff like that Marshall would say right and, and which which you don't really glom onto until the second time you watch it and because because he says I'm 105 and a half but because you're in the lost hour there's no concept of time in there 
so you don't know. I mean, this is Marshall. It's 105, 80, 90, 80, I'm not going to calculate it right now. This is Marshall a long time <laughs> later. So I would love to know. I, I mean, as 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 uh, I, I mentioned in the previous one um, uh, with, with Sarah Bob, that maybe Marshall is a character whose arrival in Erie begins to save people who are affected by the strangeness in Erie. And I love the fact that mm. 80 years later, He's still doing it. He somehow got confined to a space where things are very limited. And for some reason, he can't save the gal until Marshall arrives. I don't know why he can't save her. But the moment Marshall well, arrives, he kind of implied that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, please. I, I, I feel like there's something. No, I think he was implying that she, um, you know, was avoiding him. Like he might have tried okay. to approach her. But he figured maybe he Marshall himself. being her age. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And 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 yeah. And being his age, he would know that he'd show up. So he just have to. Right. I I like the fact that maybe during that year he's sort of monitoring her, hoping she'll be okay, and maybe saving her on occasion. Um, if right. he needs to, knowing that he would be there in a year. Because he says at some point, um, uh, he says to her, oh, um, when he sees, uh, when she gets in the in the truck, oh, this is the milkman. We've met. Have we? Oh, yes, a long time ago. And at first you think maybe when she showed up there, he helped her, but she's forgotten. Right. But then you realize, no, no, he helped her when he was the age. He, he helped her right now. That, that's him. Right, yeah. <laughs> right there. And I just, <laughs> And and I I love I love the yeah I I, lo I love that concept that he she won't she might she's she it, it, either he feels or she doesn't trust him because well he's an adult too and the all the other adults are right. trying to throw her in a garbage truck so why should this yeah. adult who who has like a freezer in the back of his truck tr yeah. why should she and kind of looks like a crazy old man. Let's be honest. <laughs> and looks like a crazy old man, yes, with like eight watches on his arm, and, and yeah, um, crazy hair yes. and like yeah. Yeah, jeez, I I I'd love it if there was like um, jeez, could you imagine this? This is like if if the show had gone on for seasons, maybe there was like a, a season that ended with Marshall getting pulled back into this world, and suddenly you have like two Marshalls. The one who's in the lost hour, growing older, and then another Marshall, or, or I don't know. I'm trying to think how this might work, or or maybe the show just right. ended with him vanishing. But, or maybe you see the. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm working through it in my head here. But maybe you you would like see <laughs> over the seasons, you'd see the character of the milkman appear, in at different ages, like thirty year old, fifty year old, sixty year old, something like that. But Marshall is getting oh, older, and as Marshall goes along through the series, getting older himself, later into his teens, he knows who the milkman is, but he kind of can't reveal to the milkman who he is. So maybe when we get to the point where the 105-and-a-half-year-old Marshall meets a 13-year-old Marshall, they've met like a dozen times. And this is maybe like the last time they're meeting. 
sort of. I'm thinking. Mm. I'm think, I think. I think what I'm doing is something. Uh, some variation of like. Eh, forgive me. I always. This is time travel, so I'm going to bring up Doctor Who. But like the Doctor and River song, in the in the in the run of Doctor Who, yeah. where uh, they meet in reverse order, and they're always having to catch mm-hmm. up with how they met, and they never. And the first time the Doctor meets her, technically she dies. And then sort of yep. the last time he meets her, he takes her to her death. But, and it's, I oh, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that have been fun if this show had gone on <laughs> like that? Because I, I, I can see that, like, like maybe, like, at some point in the second season, like, he meets, like, the milkman or someone like that who's a much, like, a guy in his mid-twenties. And he's like, oh, I, I met a... I, I met an older milkman who was cool like you. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then suddenly, maybe at the end, he's like, oh, my God, that was me again. I'm in Erie helping people for decades. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I don't know. It's just I just I just I think I blew my mind uh, talking with you about this here. This is. Yeah. Um, uh, so so I'll, I'll stop talking because I don't I don't want to go overboard. On this, but wouldn't that be? It's it's an interesting because yeah, the ending is really lovely when you, when you learn who the milkman is. Go back and watch it again and see why the milkman does what he does. I mean, I like the fact that he throws the milk in his own face just for fun. Why not? You know, please. Yeah. You know, that's the only one I do that too. You know, and you know, and I like the fact that when he's a hundred, he would have been, I guess, a hundred and four and a half when the gal showed up. And he would have been like, I can't help her, but I know that I'm here in a year. And if I can help her stay alive for a year, I can get her out of here. And and I, I, I like that. And the ending is lovely. When Marshall returns, it's kind of a joke. But, but when Janet, Janet Donner, her name just came up on the screen, when Janet returns, it's really lovely. Because it's it's presented as her family never gave up on her being away for a year, and she's there, and she came back after a year, and it's really great. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop. Although I just one Amy, would you give me one more thing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> one more thing. I just realized Doctor Who again in the first season when the show came back in 2005. What's one of the big conceits is that the doctor takes Rose at the end of the episode, Rose takes her to what, like 5 billion and then takes her to like 1860 or something, brings her back in the fourth episode and says, it's like, you've never been gone, but because of a glitch in the TARDIS, she's been gone a year. And so you see all these, you know, like, have you seen this gal? Have you seen, you've been missing for a year. And so for like the next five or six seasons of the show, the show, every episode is off by like a year. And then eventually they readjust it. I for, I think it's the Planet of... Oh, that's like season four. Planet of the Dead. There's an Easter episode where I think they, they finally readjust it. But that I thought of that when I saw she's been gone for a year and they never lost hope. Um, because Rose is gone for a year, but she Rose is actually only gone for like three or four hours. And so that's that's nothing to do with anything, but I just thought of that right here. And I want to go online and look up Erie, Indiana fan fiction and see if they followed this line <laughs> we came up with here. So I'm going to stop talking. Amy, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I think we covered it for the most part. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Uh, and so, so I, I, Amy, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Amy underscore the underscore conqueror. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. Um, yeah, I, um, I I don't really have anything to say here. I I think this is this is one of those episodes you should go back and watch. Like like in the Voyagers, we went to the Voyagers Institute. I mean, it's not the Voyagers Institute. What the heck is it? The the school. You you remember the school they went to? Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, where we saw all the mythology of the Voyagers and everything, and that one guy got loose and appeared again later on in the season. You know, it's like yes. you see the, you see these fun moments in shows like this, and and you, you think how they could develop and where they could go. And Erie, Indiana could have gone a thousand different ways, but I love the fact of the Milkman being the ultimate. I'm not saying the show would have 105 seasons, but um, no, it wouldn't because Marshall's 13 and it would be 105 minus 13 with 92. Um, and so uh, um, I think I, I think I got that right. Um, that was off the top of my head, math. Um, uh, no, but, I think you got it. <laughs> I think. Thank you. 92 and a half. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think this episode is is a lot of fun, and um, I I like to think that my fault, my uh, disagreement with some of it, not fully explaining the world, would have been explained in later seasons. So I'm going to leave you guys here because I've almost talked for an hour about this. I'm kidding, of course. It's only been like 20 minutes. But uh, thank you for listening. And now we are going on to I don't even know where we're going. Maybe we're just going to get lost for an hour. Oh. Would you guys join me? The next hour will be nothing but silence. Enjoy! Bourbon Street Beat Bourbon Street Beat Bourbon Street Beat Starring Richard Long in New Orleans, Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. It's back, everyone. Bourbon Street B, episode 21, The House of Ledizan. February 22nd, 1960, directed by William J. Hole Jr. Teleplay by David Evans and Michael Cramoy. Story by David Evans. And this one, I'm going to keep it very simple. Uh, the House of Letizan is one of those sort of semi-crumbling, you know, gothic-y mansions uh, that rich, some rich family lives in. And the sort of patriarch who has a son and a daughter has died. And they have called Rex in. The l- lawyer shows up and says, we need you to be at the reading of the will. Son's there. He's a ne'er do well. The daughter's there. She's kind of a man eater kind of gal who is very mm, yes, kind of the whole time. Uh, there's the doctor there who um, presided over uh, the dead gentleman, and you know some servants and things. And when they get to the uh, and basically there's the the estate is more or less split in half amongst the son and daughter, except for the codicil, which says that Rex Randolph has a certain amount of time. Basically, um, I think it's around six months to investigate the old man's death and if he signs a paper saying without shadow of a doubt the old man died of natural causes then the kids will get what they have coming to them money wise however if he finds any sort of foul play 
Oh boy. And of course, automatically, everyone in the room, apart from the lawyer, I was like, mm, yes, what are, uh, what are you doing here, Randolph? Mm, yes, you know, you know the way they are. And so Rex, slightly bemused, slightly confused, uh, and with the, the daughter really kind of vamping him, begins to investigate until a guy named the boss has his goons beat the crap out of him. So mm, there is someone in the family, in the estate, who is willing to get very rough and tough in order to have Randolph sign a paper saying it was all natural causes. So Rex has to do his thing, and we got the rest of the gang sort of helping him a bit. And like I said, the gal uh, vamping him and the, the son just kind of gadding about. And what will Rex find out? I forget whether we tell you or not, but I don't think we do. Let me give you a blast, and then Mitchell's back, everyone. Bourbon Street Meets. All right, everyone, we're back. Back to New Orleans with Rex, Cal, Melody, and Kenny. Yay! It's good to be back, and of course... If I'm back on Bourbon Street, you know who's with me. Mitchell, the great Mitchell Hadley of It's About TV and the author of The Electronic Mirror. Mitchell, how are you? I am well, Dan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, it's, 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 it's exciting to get back into the show. Yes, um, it's great to be on again. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's great to have you on. I, I, I think folks really enjoyed our um, Bourbon Street Beat chats for the first 20 um, and it's it's I haven't actually watched one since our last chat, which was maybe four months ago, five yeah, months. No, ago. Nor have I. So, so it was nice to get back nice to, to get it. Back. So we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. I'm gonna keep the palaver to a minimum because <laughs> I want because when when Amanda and I covered Joni Loves Chachi, we took an episode off because it was a season break. There were four episodes. Then it got it was on, it was off for like four or five months. Then there was the second season, so that required a space. If I ever do a show like say Project UFO, which had two thirteen episode seasons, I'll take a break right in the middle. But this wasn't meant to be a break. Melody and Diamonds, the last episode was February fifteenth, nineteen sixty. House of Letizan is February twenty second, nineteen sixty. So regardless of what we say about it. This is immediately follows on from where we left off seven episodes ago. Immediately. Immediately. So, uh, so taking it the way we've been taking it, let's start with the broad overview and then go into the details. Mitchell, tell me what you thought of the House of Letizan. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, yeah. I thought it was a nice episode. It wasn't. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything spectacular. But um, it did have some nice elements of suspense to it it was uh, this is uh, primarily a rex episode and uh he takes his typical pummeling somewhere during the course of the episode but it uh, it again plays on this this strange thing that is new orleans that you're you're always aware of that it is that that it's somewhat of an exotic place and that there's this this gothic mystique that's kind of hanging around in it uh perhaps not as much in this episode but what it does do is it produces very eccentric characters and very strange situations and uh, it makes for uh something that really has its own atmosphere and not just part of the cookie cutters that people sometimes say about warner brothers 
Yes, I, I had forgotten, and like I said, we weren't supposed to really forget sort of the atmosphere of New Orleans and just the way from the um, from the uh, the sort of spoiled wealthy who just sit around and waste their parents' money and have seem to live in this like a sort of gothic world to just the average folks out on the street. It, it does have a great atmosphere. It has a great feel to it, um, and I I think I agree with you in in the. In in the context of us not having watched an episode in four or five months, I quite enjoyed it. But mm-hmm. when when I kind of looked at some of the previous ones, I was like, this one's just okay. It's it's not it's not the best of the um, you know strange decaying family kind of thing. I think it has a nice twist in the end, which is one yes. of those which is one of those kind of twists where I, I guess we can discuss it. I, I don't know if we'll give it away, uh, but there is something I want to bring up about it. Um, but it, but it does have one of those sort of twists where um, you're trying to figure out who it is who is, um, as I mentioned in the breakdown, the boss. Who's the boss? Rex keeps saying that. Who's the boss? And I thought that was the point of the show. We never knew. Was it Tony or Angela? We never knew who was the boss <laughs> in the end. So uh, maybe it was Catherine Hellman, probably, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but I think you're right. Yeah. So <laughs> the, uh, there, there's um, – so sitting there trying to figure out who the boss is. and, and but, but part of the fun as I was doing that was I thought – I don't actually really care who the boss is. I'm just kind of enjoying what's happening. You know, we'll get to who the boss is eventually. And yeah, yeah, and of course, yeah, Rex gets the the, the thud pounded mm-hmm. out of him. And but it's 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 a it's an it's a it's an average episode of what I think is a pretty darn good show, which means yeah, watch it. Don't don't yeah. you know? It's it's but it's it's. It, I mean, my favorite parts of it are things like. Cal going out again for not going to see Casablanca. Don't you ever get yes. tired of the, you know <laughs> tired of the movies? And like Rex being called in by Mister Letizan there because he'd heard about his character and everything. And the moment like everyone in the room suddenly just looks at him like you son of a bitch. And Rex is just sitting there like <laughs> I, just, I didn't I didn't know what's happening. You know, it's like Commissioner Gordon came into my house and suddenly you all want to kill me. And, you know there was. There was something was kind of disappointing about it. I thought, wow, you know, there's Commissioner Gordon, and yes. then we don't really get much of him at all after oh, that. No, and you, and you, a little bit of me was thinking, oh, maybe they kind of got rid of him because he's the bad guy. But then I thought, I didn't really feel that at all, actually. Now that I I said I thought oh. that, so um, um. Yeah, so I think um, I love his guest appearances on other shows though. Whenever yes. he's on Perry Mason or anything oh, yeah. else, it's always a treat. Yeah. to see him and I just wish there was more of him. Uh, and he's he's fun in a movie that I find rather dull, but I seem to watch like once a year called The Devil's Hand, which was made a year or two after this. Um if mm. if if you see it it's got it's got hooked up on several like public domain um, discs. It, it with it gets hooked up with. Is it the Mad Men of Mantoris? Manator. I forget what the country's name is, but it's a movie better known as They Saved Hitler's Brain. And so you. Can, oh yes. 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 It's it's the They Saved Hitler's Brain is the version where they add in like late sixties hippies spies at the beginning of it. Whereas the actual movie itself was made in the early sixties, so you can see it's 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 something like say the Wild World of Batwoman the um. Jerry Warren film has those scenes at the beginning with the the vampires drinking blood. No, it's not really blood. Huh, okay. Uh, that's kind of clearly added in. 
Um, I forgot why I was going there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Commissioner Gordon, of course. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, yeah, let's let's hit some details. What 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 were little bits you love? What were little bits you didn't love? Things that stood out. Well, I think that yeah, it was one of these episodes where you're introduced to all of the suspects right away, and invariably one of the suspects gets bumped off, thereby uh, excusing him from being a suspect. But th- everybody's got something to hide. Everything has a secret. Rex has a femme fatale who may or may not be uh, the the, uh, the the killer. Uh, you've got this great puzzle to begin with about one of these one of these wills that apparently, and I wasn't aware of this until until I started watching TV a lot, uh, that that people actually used wills to get even with people and to air their grievances. <laughs> and now, you know, I suppose you just go on Twitter. But back then, you didn't have Twitter. You had to wait and die and speak out from beyond the grave. Yes, and you know when there's a codicil. Oh, that's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Mm, gosh, yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, although, although this for for our listeners um, at home, this may be uh, giving away something of when we're recording this. But I'm just waiting to see what happens with all of those wills they've suddenly found in Aretha Franklin's home. Oh, they've found three handwritten wills. What? And yes, yes. After after they had said that she died without a will, it turns out there were three handwritten ones, not entirely legible, that may or may not be missable. One of them, I think, was hidden between the cushions of her couch. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is made for television. There's no question about it. You combine her celebrity with this will situation, yes. and you're just begging for something to happen here. Yeah. Wow. That's oh my gosh, that's fantastic. I hadn't I hadn't heard about that. I think that just happened in the last uh, day or so that the story wow. uh, came out. And I, I, once you once you start finding w- handwritten wills between the cushions of a couch or something like that, you know, the the the, the sky's the limit. All bets are. I mean, has that has that happened? I'm sure it has. I was going to say, I, I feel like that probably happened in like an Agatha Christie or something like that, where they just keep finding wills throughout. Something there, there must be, um, although it, do, it is it is kind of a nice idea that mm-hmm. you're doing something like ten little wills instead yes. of ten little Indians yes. <laughs> that you just keep finding. It's like Russian Russian tea dolls of uh, of wills. Yeah. Oh my gosh, wouldn't that be so great? You like you have the starting <laughs> will and everyone's there, but then like twenty minutes in, they find another will and that completely yes. changes the way everything is balanced. And then for a while you go on that, maybe someone. Is killed, and then you find another whale that switches it this way. Oh my gosh, that would be fun! And then, the, then you find one, and it starts. Oh, and one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, just one more thing. Columbo's will. Columbo's yeah. will. Yeah. I leave everything to Mrs. Columbo. If you can find her, it's not Kate Mulgrew, yeah. or is it? No, or... I, I say that it isn't, but yeah. you, you know, mileage may vary. <laughs> um. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, yeah, uh, I did have a note that it was great to have Commissioner Gordon and the Green Hornet in an episode. Yes. Yeah, I like the symmetry there. Yes. Yes. Uh, let's see what else. 
So, oh, I guess I guess I'll bring up my thing about the boss. That um, is, I, I guess this is kind of a giveaway because when you see the boss, they focus on his mouth and his neck. And when we meet everybody, um, the the main people we meet are the 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 son, the daughter, Sonia, and like the doctor, the 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 guy's doctor. And the guy's yes. the the Sonia's is young and beautiful, and the guy is sort of I don't know, you know, like um, from Jeeves and Worcester or something like that, but kind of a jerk. Uh, and but they're both you know young, uh, good looking, thin people. And the mm-hmm. doctor is sort of an older, jowly gentleman. And in fact, he has a long scene with Rex where they're discussing the death certificate and such. We sort of it doesn't quite focus on his jowls, but you see he's jowly. And then when it comes yes. to the boss, you get the close-up of his mouth and his neck, and all you can think is, jowls. And you're like, <laughs> who who could that be? Now, I'm not going to say it's the guy, the doctor, but... No, you you might say that. I couldn't possibly comment. I but, would, uh... yes. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you notice that, or was that just me being like, huh, I think that may give the game away? Hmm. Well, I, my, my wife, uh, when we were watching it, nailed one of the uh, possibilities within the first 10 or 15 minutes. I'm not going to tell uh, you what the what the part of the plot twist it was, but she said, I wonder if maybe blank isn't really blank. And um, she turned out to be absolutely right. Wow. That was good. Yeah, but I, uh... it, Oh, I'm sorry. And it was a spectacular. You, you're absolutely right that uh, there's a, a kind of a neat twist at the end, a spectacular yeah. final scene. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very. Yeah. Very I think if if you're for you for those of you at home again, if when you see this, you'll just flip over this episode, <laughs> over the end of it. <laughs> I forgot how much fun it was to talk to Mitchell. Everybody, that's just a joke for you. And and me, Mitchell, and anyone who's seen the episode. For anyone That's who, right. but, and and I will say this: there isn't like an acrobat doesn't suddenly appear at the end of the movie or something like that. You know, there isn't like crazy like the flying Walindas aren't the aren't the culprit or the flying nun or the fly. She 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 ain't the. You culprit may wonder either. why she went to a uh, to a nunnery, but. <laughs> But I'll tell you, folks, go out there, watch this episode, then listen to this podcast again, and you are going to laugh and gonna, laugh about this. You, you are going to love that one, trust me. And, oh, oh th- this, this episode brings up something that I hadn't thought of in ages, and that is that there's a scene where... Rex is relaxing, and he's having some... I believe, he's, it's, I believe it's Rex, is having some white wine. And all I can think of... Uh, is remember the old crazy lady and the white wine with ice? Yes. Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think Rex is doing that because that doesn't seem like something he'd do. No. No. But, he's a, he he's a little more uh, civilized in his tastes, I think. Yes, a little less um, wacky than that lady and her wacky family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. No. What did, What did you think of um, What did you think of Sonia and like Sonia and Rex? Well, I, you know, what is it that Cal said that uh, she eats um, everybody right down to the shoelaces? Something, oh, yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah, man, that. devours man, yeah, or whatever. 
Yes, yes, and um, I I saw nothing in in this episode that would contradict that. I think that uh, it it as well. Rex is a grown up, and if he knows what he's getting himself into, uh, she's a man eater. But some guys don't mind that kind of thing. I I think it would, it would be. Yeah. It's interesting though. She is, she is an interesting character. And as the episode evolves, I think you find your feelings toward her evolving somewhat at the same time. I certainly did not view her at the end in the same light that I did in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. The, I, I think, I think I agree with you completely because Rex, Rex is very much like, you know, when Cal says she's a man eater, you're going to be in trouble. But Rex is like, so what? I like, I like mm. smooching. I like, I like smooching, <laughs> and I like smooching her. And by the end, there is a sort of a different, definitely a different. Again, we're not, we're, we won't say exactly why, but there is sort of a different, different field, which is kind of a nice thing because you expect her to be that sort of femme fatale detective um, movie type character who's not going to. Um, have sort of that development per se. Um, sort of by hook or by crook, she does in this. Yes, and, and I yeah, do... it's nice. It's a get away from the cliche a little yes. bit. Yeah, and and there is just like you said, there is just something really nice about Rex's attitude towards it. Is yeah, you know what? She may be taking advantage of me. I love it. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do more of this. You know, let's please, please. I, you know, he's like, I wish I could be taking advantage of like this every week. Yeah, exactly. This is this is delightful. And I, I think I think because Rex doesn't seem, I don't think Cal does either. Like sort of the Marion type. No, I would and, agree with that. And, and so, definitely. So so like a couple of weeks with the man eater, he's like, you know, I, I I would think he's like, you know, I'm not rich. She knows that. She's yep. only here because I have the will and everything. So I'll let this drag out a little bit more and get more smooches. Yeah. Hey, why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. We could all. This could all be to our advantage. Yay. <laughs> now, now, um, I, I, someone I would something I would like to mention, and I didn't actually look to see if this is who it was, and if I got it wrong, I may edit this out. But <laughs> Rex goes to see a cop who tells him all about the family. Is that Ted Knight? Yes, it is. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Ted. Ted Knight. Is in this. I, I love I love seeing. Uh, you know, I talked about uh, uh, Neil Hamilton, the Commissioner Gordon, but th- uh, not again. Someone like Ted Knight, who appears in a completely different way than we're used to seeing him. Yes, yes, he's 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 a he's a New Orleans cop, you know. And it's just I said it. It literally took me half the scene to suddenly go. That's Ted Knight. Because you know, I'm so used to Mary Tyler Moore, Too Close for Comfort. And, you know, you may say, uh, Too Close for Comfort, Dan, jejun. Eh, I thought it was funny <laughs> when I was a kid. Jejun <laughs> Pull-Up was great. Um, I know I shouldn't have even mentioned that, like with Mary Tyler Moore. But, no, it was a popular show. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's Ted Knight. Just he does this little scene. Well, not a little. None of the scenes are little. He's in a short, short scene. How about that? He's in a short scene, short scene helping Rex out, and it's it's uh, and it's just it's just great to see. I mean, thinking this is yeah, this is February 1960. This was probably shot at the end of 1959. You know, that's I don't know if I've seen Ted Knight that early. And he has no idea what awaits him in his career. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Oh wow. 
Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe Ted Knight was convinced from the first day he ever set foot on the stage that one day he was going to make it. But I I like to think that playing these little character parts, he has no idea the fame that awaits him. Yes, yes, yeah, and he just yeah. Oh, he's Ted Knight. He's a young Ted Knight. You know, he's one of those things. A young Ted Knight. It's like saying a young Betty White. You know, it's yes. like you see you see like um Betty White was in a show in the mid fifties that was something like. A date with the angels or something like yes. that. I, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. Where she, she's she's married and she, you know, and and it's uh, they're a sweet couple and it's it's not quite it's it's a if I remember correctly from the three or four episodes I've seen it's sort of a calmer Lucy, but it yeah. Um, and and and, she, and she's in that and that's a young Betty White and you're like oh my god a young Betty White oh, she's lovely we always knew she was but you know it's uh, nice to see the yes. evidence yes the the the, the woman. Who changed Alan Ludden's life? Yes, yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> now right now I have the scene where where the, he gets where Rex gets um, beat up, and I, I will say my favorite thing about the scene where he gets beat up is he seems to get beat up pretty brutally. Yes, he does. But everyone just laughs. It's it's almost like you you would think it was almost like the end of an episode, you know, where they you get to the end of a you know an episode and everyone suddenly breaks into hysterics and there's a freeze frame. That's the way they act. He like he he's getting beat brutally. It fades out and then you see him kind of like with his bruise with his face in a sink and then you see him on the couch, you know, another concussion or whatever, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and and Cal is there and the a doctor is there, not the doctor from earlier, another doctor. And um, they're all like, oh, Rex. He's like, oh, my head. <laughs> and, and, and this is somehow hilarious. <laughs> <It's> hilarious. <laughs> but you notice he gets he gets over it in a hurry. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't really bother him at all. He, he no. He immediately goes to the mansion and it's like, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who's the boss? And you think, you, you know, one of the interesting things is that it doesn't show – Rex evening the score on this beating that he yes. gets, but what is it that that it's didn't they uh, the the bad guy admitted it was something? And I, by the way, I use bad guy generically. It does not mean that the that the the, the bad guy is actually a guy. But um, didn't that person say that the the guy who worked him over worked in a casino or something like that? He was da- someplace down the road. What do you want to bet though that after the episode is over? Rex stops in because he knows where that guy works. And I suspect Rex probably evened things out after that. Through a a punch (laughs) or two, yeah. I think so, yes. I only have <laughs> I only have one other thing that I noticed that that you have um, a scene where Rex is setting up the old fake body in the bed trick, uh, where uh, he's he's putting in uh, making it look like he's in bed so that somebody will come in and uh, murder his pillows rather than him, and as I say, it's the old trick, but I, what I kind of liked about this is you seldom ever actually get to see somebody setting that up, giving you a tutorial on how to make an empty bed in the middle of the night look like it has a body in it. Oh, yes. And uh, usually, usually it's just a surprise. We're surprised, or supposed to be surprised, that it wasn't really him in that bed but yes. you hardly ever get to see how you set that up yes 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 and he's very meticulous and i like that yeah yeah 
and I like Cal isn't in it much, but he does have that Casablanca moment. And then he has a moment when he comes back and Sonia and Rex are kissing and he's very wry, which is nice. Um, yes. And, and, and uh, we, we will wrap it up here. But the the <laughs> one, one, one more thing that I like is when Sonia sort of invites Rex over and she, she has said something like our place is full of sin. It's, it's a palace of sin or something like that. And well, and she says, well, you should come and stay with us. And he, he says, um, well, I thought your house was full of sin. And she says, what's safer than sin? And I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess if it's sin, you know what you're going to get, right? You know, and if it's, yeah. Well, that's it, exactly, again, Rex knows what he's getting into here. Yes, <laughs> yes, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. Uh, uh-huh. So, and, and then right, like, right after he gets beat up, there's a great scene of him, like, hobbling up the spiral staircase, trying to get to bed and... Oh Rex. Uh, okay. oh, well, um, so I think um, we're now we're not going to spoil the ending. You, you guys got to do that. Get, see it on your own. Um, and so I guess um, yeah, I guess that wraps up this one. Uh, if if you're all set, Mitchell, where where can we find you online, and what are you up to? I am uh, up to six four right now. No, actually, okay. I'm uh, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I was six four and a half a few years ago. Those was. Uh, old man's disease, but uh, um, I'm at um, it's I'm at it's about TV dot com. I'm uh, blogging every week about classic television and its relationship to American culture. Um, I have a, a TV book out called The Electronic Mirror, which you so graciously uh, plugged at the beginning. Working on another TV book that I hope will be out in a year or two. It all depends on. Uh, circumstances that are currently beyond my control but your humble scribe is hard at work keeping you entertained yay thank you mitchell thank you dan i i I guess i guess i will oh i guess uh thank you cal (laughs) thank you rex (laughs) those are those are the, the characters we've chosen for this portion of the episodes, we we still have eighteen more, folks. That we still got a lot left. We we may change. I may become Kenny. He may become Melody. We we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, so I, <laughs> you've got I, a real story there. <laughs> so I guess we will close out this one, and I, I'll just I'll, I'm just going to ask it one more time, but there will be no answer. Who's the boss? The United States of America would like to invite you. To come spy with me. Tonight, adventures looking in your window. Something out of the ordinary. Come with me now and let's explore the secret passions. I can see you're someone special. Hey everybody, Girls for Sale. It's the third episode of Masquerade, aired December 29th, 1983, written by Glenn A. Larson, directed by Sidney Hayers. And I have with me the great, the wonderful, my podcast pal, Amanda Reyes. Amanda, were you or were you not just giving out all sorts of facts about this episode three seconds before I started talking? I was via my Apple phone. It was amazing. Oh, I pulled out my little Apple with the little dial tone on it, and I, and I dialed you, and I said, oh my God, we have to talk about ninjas that call out sick. <laughs> now, could you, I didn't you, know you could do that. Like, what is what is the benefits package? You would think, and and none of none of the ninjas in here are are 
the standard ninja that you recognize dressed all in black. They're guys in Hawaiian shirts. I guess they're undercover per se, but you never see like a sneaky ninja. You just learn that they're a ninja when they pull out the the shuriken there and throw it. But Steve Well, like in American Ninja 2, they go to like ninja school. Yeah, yeah. But they're all in their black outfits, right? And so that's their uniform. And so like I've seen ninja school, and I know how important the uniform is. So yeah, these guys, I didn't know that they taught you like undercover work per se but they do they teach you how to use technology because they have those we'll talk about that they have little earpieces like they had to do all kinds of stuff yeah so that's why i'm asking about the benefits package uh, I'm, i'm wondering if it's just these are hawaiian ninjas you know they're gonna wear hawaiian shirts and things like oh that. yeah you know bermuda yeah. shorts things that like is that. their uniform yeah uh, so, so thank you for joining me again. And um, is this? Um, I, I I heard at some point somewhere. Is this your favorite episode of Masquerade? This is my all-time favorite episode of Masquerade because it's amazing, and you'll talk about. It. I don't want to give away yes, too much away yes. here, okay. but there's there's nothing about this episode that is bad. It's perfect television. <laughs> so the the basic premise of this one is we are in Hawaii, Sunset Beach, Hawaii. And there's a young woman who's kind of getting jilted by a hunky guy who I believe his name is Ian, hunky surfer guy. Ian goes directly to Linda Day George and says she's out of money. She she could use uh, your help or or something like that. Linda Day goes over to this this young woman and says, I have a modeling agency. Give us a call. And the woman's like, hey, I'm excited. Five seconds later, she's on a bed being slapped by a guy forced to do some sort of porn for the uh, Japanese Yakuza. Which is an, is an interesting jump, but uh, that's what – and that's like a Glenn A. Larson thing. There's like, <laughs> there's like a BJ and the Bear episode that has this like illicit porn. Like it just – it looks like regular you know, adult movie stuff to me. I'm not sure why it has to be so – they couldn't they couldn't hire anyone? There, There's no one – never mind. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Well, I, I originally thought what it was was snuff film and that they were going to kill her at the end but that they realized that she was a senator's daughter which I gave away a little spoiler there and so they held on to her so I was under the impression they were going to end her life that's that's kind of I kind of thought that except um there was nothing it, except the way they sort of shoot it it just looks like sort of reg, one of those regular sort of like um uh in in the BJ and the Bear episode where um uh Stax goes undercover and almost ends up in a porno it looks exactly like this it's kind of an uncomfortable-looking woman and a guy half-naked and all these people standing around and some people are yelling. and so, I guess this could be – prob- this probably is a snuff well, film if it's going for the Yakuza. In the, in the Magnum episode Out of Sync, which is like a seventh-season episode mm-hmm. with Lisa Blount from Prince of Darkness, um, it's, she's like the side story where she is in, I think, what's supposed to be a snuff film, and she mm-hmm. takes off. But what's interesting about it is – well, a couple of things are interesting about it. Um, but what's most interesting about it is that if you're making a snuff film, it's my understanding, and I've never seen a real snuff film. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding, though, that if you're not the victim, you have to cover up enough of yourself that you can't be identified. Yeah, I would think. But on in TV versions of snuff films, it's always just the guy is fully – you can see everything, right? Like his face and his bills, and, and there's no mystery. And so, like, if you're 
you're going to kill that person, aren't you supposed to like sort of hide your identity? And yeah. so in even in the Magnum, which I think is probably a really well, it is a really good show. And I think that they try to pay attention to these things still even had that where like the guy is completely like, oh, this is what I look like and I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And Lisa Blount's like, oh, my God, Magnum, help me. It's I, I, and he does. Sort of. Yeah, I, I think this. The thing I, I like the well, I don't like the idea that it's it's snuff film, but I, I think I I think there's just the thing where the way like Linda Day George is giving out cards on the beach with her number, and and um, <laughs> wait, wait. it's it's like it's like the it's like the Yakuza are supposed to be this huge organization of like super violent people worse than the mafia, and and they've got this beautiful blonde. <laughs> woman handing out their phone number yes you know what i mean like yeah. like it's so it would have been easy for the local police to just have figured this out they didn't yeah. need mr lavender yeah we're like we're, we're your friend went missing when's the last time you saw her oh when this blonde woman who hangs around on the beach gave her a card that had her phone number which she showed us yeah which she showed us and she yeah. talked to that surfer over there mm, that yeah. really that guy who thinks he's vincent van Patten. Yes. he talked to him uh, there's, there's a great not moment. too difficult there's a great moment where um uh the the guy i think his name is ian goes up to linda day and says try try her and then as linda day is talking with um the the woman the she is a senator's daughter so she doesn't end up in whatever the film is the yakuza basically kidnap her and um ransom is involved but there, there's just a moment where he's, she's, Linda Day's talking to the senator's daughter. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but I, in the background, you can see Ian's just leaning against some sand, smoking a cigarette, watching him. And I thought, this doesn't look extra yeah, shady or anything. Is, doesn't that, shouldn't he have walked further away? Or, I don't know. I don't understand surfer guys. Unfortunately, I'm not one myself, so... I, um... I don't understand 80s espionage, is what I don't understand. <laughs> it's just, it's so... Oh, like it's so like like eighteen twelve espionage. It's like it's like so basic. There's nothing intricate about what they're doing at all. You know yeah. what I mean? And there wouldn't have been in eighteen twelve because they didn't have phones or ways to communicate properly. So if they did it, it was basically walking up to somebody on the beach. I mean, and that's essentially what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. I I think it's eighteen twelve style espionage. And when they show the scene um, with the senator's daughter in bed with that guy, it it looks very much to me like something out of say like um, the sinister urge. Or um, uh, what, what's the Herschel Gordon-Lewis uh, one with the woman gets pulled into um, heaven, dirty photos taken of her? Oh, gosh, I've forgotten the name of oh, it. I don't know. It's the one um, – uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get the title. Um, but that's that's what it feels like to me. It feels like a very innocent version of, of um, this, uh, which is why it looks strange to me. But anyway, uh, so they kidnap the senator's daughter. And we learn from Lavender and the gang that um, the senator has to bring two million to this this hotel. And but it's it's kind of a smokescreen because really what they're going to do is they are actually the senator is kind of going to give himself up for his, his daughter. The two million is just kind of right. a, a lie, more or less, because they want the senator is head of like the Senate Intelligence Committee or something like that. And they Senator Wayburn, yes. Senator Wayburn and daughter Wayburn. Yep. I don't remember her name. Daughter Wayburn. Yes, Arlene, Arlene. Arlene Wayburn is played by Mary Beth Evans, who is most famous for Days of Our Lives, but you may also recognize her from Love Lines, oh. which I think was directed by Rod Amato, which is really good about like a female rock band. Oh. Um, she's amazing, and she's still acting today. Uh, what was this? Oh, yeah, so that's a great cast. Yeah. Um, 
so so yeah, the, so what Lavender is trying to do with his gang that he assembles is they are trying to find where they know where the Yakuza are in this hotel, and they're trying to find the senator's daughter, Arlene, and f free her before the senator has to sort of turn himself in because the government isn't going to allow that. So if he goes to turn himself in, they're going to kill him um, rather than let him go and get tortured by the Yakuza uh, and have all the secrets taken out of him. So it's kind of a race for time to find the daughter before the uh, ransom time is up. So that's those are the basics. And uh, let's just go through the gang, the, the group that they assemble. Um, do you do you want to start with one? We can go back okay. and forth. Pick your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me start with the hot one. Um, so there's a there's a well, okay. We're not gonna do this in order because I think they came in last. But so so what happens is if you've never really seen Masquerade, um, is that that uh, Christy Alley's character and Greg Evigan's character sort of work for Mr. Lavender, and what they do is they go to these different places around the country and they try to recruit regular people who do extraordinary things or whatever, or have a specialty in something. So they've decided that they are going to approach uh, the Banacheks, who are played by Eugene Roche and somebody named jo Joey Arisco, and they're window cleaners. And apparently on their credentials... It says, and this is hilarious, it says on your credentials that you're not afraid to go to the 32nd floor of a building. Yes. And so, like, I don't know if that's how they wrote it. Like, like on their little certificate, not afraid to go over 32 <laughs> floors on a building. I'm not really sure. But anyway, so they're washing windows and they're, they're like, basically, what was that show in England that was so popular where, like, they would peep in on people? It was like a comedy that, like, all the people we know in England used to watch as teenagers because it was really scandalous. And, um... I wish I could remember the name of it. Anyway, so they're basically, do you know what I'm talking about? And they're basically, I'm not sure. they're basically peeping into to the window and, <laughs> and, and they're, something's happening. So, and then, um, and then Kirstie Alley pops her head out and she's like, Hey guys, it says on your credentials, not afraid to go past the 32nd floor. And, um, would you guys come on this, uh, thing with me? And so, of course, uh, Phil Banachek, who's the younger one, he's the junior. I guess they're both named Phil. Bronco, I'm sorry, is his nickname. He's like, hey, oh, hey, hey, yeah, hey, you know? And, um, <laughs> he's, and his dad. but he's really good looking, so it's okay. And his dad spends most of his time saying stuff like, this guy never did a day's work in his life, or stuff like that to his son. It's things, things which would randomly contradict yeah. what he seems to be doing. So they have a cute, cute father-son relationship yeah. running their own business together. Mm. And and Joey's that kind of guy that if I knew in real life, I would probably hate him. <laughs> but he's charming enough in this episode because yeah. he's so over the top that you just yeah. be like, stop it, Bronco. But um, but he's he's completely adorable here and pretty harmless, I think. And um, I really like the Banachecks. I'm not gonna lie. I think I I I'd like to think that if you are when you join the window, actually, are they they're painters? They're painters of some variety, I think. And oh, I, I thought they were window washers. They're doing something right. they're with windows painters. on the side. Of, um, and I like the thought that maybe if you join this union, they put you in one of those contraptions and they go like, third floor, I'm okay. Fourth floor, I'm okay. <laughs> Fifth floor, I can't do it. Fourth floor certified. And these, <laughs> it's like... Like the when you when you're an astronaut and they put you in that thing that spins you around really fast to make sure you can handle yes, yes, it yeah. in space. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's the same yes, thing. Exactly. It's like NASA. Exactly. Uh, I will take. Um, can I take uh, the older lady? Would you mind? Would I? Uh, I'll, I'll oh, Fifi. Fifi. Fifi is. Yes. I, I want to say she's 67, but I could be wrong on that. She's a retired school teacher. She is. 
She's a retired school teacher. She's from. Uh, she's she lives in California because they declare her to be the worst driver in California. She has had her license <laughs> taken away from her for having too many accidents. Is that on her credentials? That's, that's, worst driver in California. <laughs> I, I, I like that they they must have like scanned the DMV files to find like who had the most or police files or something to find who had the most accidents. And it's this older lady, and she um and Greg Evigan recruits her, and he does it in his own kind of way where she's a little wary of him, but she's like, "You're so good looking. I'll listen to anything you say." And so they've recruited... Yeah, even if you're a sex maniac. Yes, exactly. Well, that's a fee And so they've recruited two um, window painters who can go above the 32nd floor and an old woman who drives badly. Next. Yeah, okay, so there's a twist to all this, too. They yes. also have another special yes. tea, which we'll talk about later. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the... Uh, I don't remember the name of the beauty pageant, but there were three beauty pageant contestants. One was like Miss Portland or something, and then there were two other ones. And the why I love these girls so much is that <laughs> one of them is Veronica from Killer Party, and I just about died when I recognized oh. it was that actress. Um, yeah, and so they are there. So what happens is is Ian the surfer, who by the way fake surfs all the time. It's so great when they do that close up of him and he's supposed yes, to be surfing. Whoa, you can tell he's just standing hey, at the park. Yeah. By the beach. <laughs> yeah, so good. And then they show stock footage of an actual surfer. It's so good. So anyway, what happens is Ian is beautiful because he looks like Vincent Van Patten. And so he hangs out on the beach and he prays on these young women who are kind of out of money or a little desperate or stuck on the island because something happened. And he gets Linda Day George to approach them. And so these three girls are in that age category. Like I, they, they might be useful. I think they're teenagers, which is really, so. really unnerving to me because Greg Evigan yeah, when they're watching the pageant, Greg oh, Evigan yeah. is like, drooling so hard. And it's like, don't do that because I think they're like 17 or 16. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, that aside. So they are going to be the lure for Ian and Linda Day George's character. But the So basically, they have two specialties. We'll talk about the second one later. But the first specialty is basically that they look amazing in bikinis. And if anybody remembers Veronica in her little... Uh, would it kind of out genie outfit at the costume party in Killer Party? You know, yeah, she can work that shit, and she mm-hmm. does. She does. And so, like, all the girls are adorable. I love every single one of them, even though you don't really get to know any of them, with the exception of Veronica's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, I'll, I'll take this next guy. They hire a really good sushi chef. I didn't catch. Oh <laughs> yay! I love this guy. He's great. He's great. Uh, we we'll talk about more what he does after we uh, we get through the rest of the game. How many do we have left? One, two, or do you want to talk I think about him? Just one. I can only think of one right now. But I want to preface uh, the sushi guy, whose name is Sushi, by the way, is Clyde Kusatsu. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. He was on Magnum a bunch, and one of the things that he did was a really great John Wayne impression. <laughs> And his character is in a couple episodes where he's literally just mimicking John Wayne and solving crimes with Magnum. And he's wonderful. Um, I'm so in love with that guy. Uh, but um, so the only other one I can remember off the top of my head is Steve Garvey, yes. who plays Steve Garvey. So they need a famous baseball player or some celebrity to, like, basically be a, sort of a distraction, I guess. And so the thing is, is that the way they paint Steve Garvey in this is probably how Steve Garvey was. I don't know anything about him, but like, so he's at like a charity event. It's off season and he's helping raise money for something. And Mr. Lavender's like, would you like to help your country? And he's, and he's like, I can't give you your salary because you make so much money, but you would be helping America. And Steve Garvey, who is 
beautiful is like with that big oh, he had a beautiful smile didn't he and yeah. he's just like i'll do whatever you want if it's patriotic and helps my country and so that's it's like nothing to get him to like he's not even like whoa i'm famous and and like what are you talking about where am i going am i risking my life like there's none of that he's just like hey i'm gonna you know help my country out with no incentive yes. but i'm steve garvey and i do charity work and so let's do it yeah and um all of them, except I think Steve Garvey, have a special skill. Oh, do the do the gals have this skill, or is it? I, I for, they do, don't they? I think they do because they I'm do. under the yeah. So we are missing we are missing one person, but I don't remember them recruiting her, and I don't really know who she is. But the photographer, remember the blonde oh, photographer? Yes. yes. That takes. The, I don't even know the character's name or who the actress is. But there's a, and I don't remember them approaching her. She's just somehow in the mix. Yeah. She is this woman who I guess her specialty is taking really good photos. Um, and so she's also there. And so yes, they all except for Steve Garvey. Mm-hmm. They Dan, are all. What is their specialty? They are all master martial artists, including sixty-seven-year-old Fifi. <laughs> except maybe maybe oh, Phil Fifi Jr. is a badass. Maybe Phil Jr. isn't because, or maybe he's taken by surprise because Fifi gives does one of those great stunt flips to him while they're on the plane traveling. You couldn't beat me up, old lady. Yeah, hey! I just don't think he was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he was expecting Fifi to um, do what she did. But yeah, so they're all martial art experts, and they all have uh, these other skills, including making sushi and being pretty in bikinis. Yes. Like really difficult skills. <laughs> yes, and and yeah, the making making sushi. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of yeah. Steve Garvey is there for several distractions. Fifi is there for distractions also, and we'll talk about how great Fifi's distractions are. Um, yeah, the the gals are there to attract Ian's attention, but in a slightly strange thing, they attract Ian's attention, and he contacts Linda Day George's character, but she says, "I'm too busy," and that kind of. Then it kind of goes a stranger, <laughs> which is which yeah. Is I'm weird. too busy to to make money for the yakuza. Yeah. But we should we should talk a little bit just real briefly about James Shigeta, who plays the head of the oh, yakuza. Sure. Yes. Um, he's Mako, and he is uh, Linda Day George's character, who's Jackie, uh, also her lover, which was amazing to me because he's so beautiful. I met James Shigeta. I just wanted oh, to point that out. Um, so I don't know why he's he's probably most famous for owning the building that gets taken over in Die Hard. Oh, yes, yes. yes. I'm going to point out all the actors that were on Magnum, mm. but um, he was also on an episode of Magnum, although it's eluding me which episode it was. Um, and he's really debonair mm. and well-spoken, but he's not only the head of the Yakuza, but he owns the hotel yeah. that um, they're keeping, supposedly keeping um, whatever her name is, the daughter, Arlene, Arlene. At, and also where I think yeah, also where the tour group is staying, and the tour group is all, you know, the um, people that are helping Mr. Lavender. So it's all connected, even the building. Yes. Uh, so he can't, he shouldn't be buying buildings, because they either get taken over or they're run by the Yakuza, is what I'm saying. So yeah. James Shigeta should probably not have property in his life if he can avoid it. But um, anyway, yeah, so yeah, they call, and she's just sitting on the couch, Linda yeah. D. George with James Shigeta, and they're just, they're I guess they're, figuring out what they're going to do with Arlene. Mm-hmm. And and she's like, whatever, you know, I'm busy, Ian. So you'll just have to wait for another day. But this chick is really desperate, man. And it's, that's, yeah, that's my impression of you. <laughs> I, I, and it, it makes uh, for a slightly sort of weird thing that they call in these three women. 
put them in the bikinis, and then and with that specific purpose. But then it's like, nah, not now. And that kind of ends. The, I mean, Ian. Unfortunately, uh, our head ninja says, you know, take out Ian. He's a, he's a liability, uh, which leads to some drama later on. But that's kind of interesting that they spend this time creating this plot line that immediately goes nowhere. Which is, I, I, I guess they don't all have to go somewhere, right? I mean, they some of them can kind of... Well, yeah, I guess they just needed to show how serious the Yakuza was because, like, they're just... Cause, Linda Day George's character is like, he's a really nice kid, which, by the way, he's not because he's helping her kidnap people to put into what we think are snuff films. Yes. Not a nice guy. And but, but she's actually got like sort of a conscience about it, which is mm-hmm. weird. And um, and she's like, you don't want to get rid of Ian. He's just this kid like all these women you've been murdering. But he's a boy. So it's OK. Yeah. And and. And Mako's like, forget it, he's done. But it's a really good scene because he's at the beach and the, I couldn't call her Veronica because I don't know the name of any of the girls, but mm-hmm. um, the girl from Killer Party goes back to the beach after she's been told not to. They were told they have very specific, like, um, scripts. And if they want to keep these three girls safe, first of all, bringing in 17-year-olds who might get put in a snuff film and murdered is really, I don't know if the government <laughs> would really support that. But anyway... So they're like, okay, you guys, you guys get there, make the initial contact, and then you're gone. And then Veronica's like, I'm gonna go back to the beach, yeah, and get I, a tan and hang out. And and so, go ahead. Oh, she does say at one point, uh, whatever. I I'm however old I am, and I can do what I want. Then, well, no, technically you've been hired on by some people to do a job, so that's what you that's what you need to do. She's a little um, yeah, uh, she's, she's a bit of a flippant, but- yeah, yeah. Yeah, but 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 luckily Ian got murdered, and luckily, and so and and she finds the body, and it's actually real kind of violent because he's all bloody and like oh I wasn't expecting it to be kind of as gory as it was, and then she's like oh my god I think I learned my lesson, and luckily Greg Evigan is there to make everything all right. Luckily. I'm yeah. noticing th- I'm noticing this through line with Greg Evigan's character, which I've never noticed before. But you know, so what happens is they recruit everybody, and then they get on like this double decker plane. And usually there's a guy playing piano, and then they come and get everybody out of their seats, and they're like, "We're going to meet upstairs," and they have this really glamorous like sequestered room with like a big monitor where they show people's faces and talk about what they're going to do and everything, and everybody asks questions and does martial arts and everything. But before they round everybody up. Um, Greg Evigan is always hitting on one of the stewardesses. Yes. And Kirstie Alley's character always comes up and ruins it for him, mm-hmm. saying, like, your wife said that when we land, you need to go pick up some diapers. And he's like, oh, she's such a kidder. But then the stewardess is like, forget it. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that this time, too. And I, it's stuff like, um, uh, you know, her um, her boyfriend's in the mafia or something like that. I forget. She says something similar to that oh, in yeah. the episodes. Um, yeah, that's yeah. the one she used for this one, yeah. Yeah, poor... Oh, poor. You know, he's always he's always up to something. Uh, that's I um and I don't remember his name. What is his name? Is it like Eddie or something? What is his character's name? Danny. Da- Danny. Danny. Why didn't I remember that? Huh. Okay. Well. Um. No. Because it's generic. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. May I talk about Fifi real quick and what the amazing stuff she does? Yes. Because. Um, yes. Because, uh, first off, she she pretends to be Steve Garvey, the head of Steve Garvey's fan club. So she's always there causing a ruckus whenever Steve is around, some sort of distraction. But they hire her because she gets into accidents. And the first time we see that happen is she actually, like, runs her car into the front of the hotel, like the big, like, 
entranceway, glass entranceway, you know, as, as people are walking in, she, she smashes through the glass, hits all kind of stuff, and, and, and kind of gets out and goes, oh, what happened there? And causes this huge distraction. And I, you know, I, I, I liked that. Um, I think possibly they should hire the stunt <laughs> driver, maybe. It's amusing. But I just think, isn't this a little dangerous to say basically, Fifi, you're 67, you don't drive very well at all, drive your car through that glass as fast as you can to cause a distraction. You got it, Danny. And she does it. She's something. You know what? Age is just a number. Age True. is just a number. And this episode is embracing that your your blatant ageism will not be tolerated in this episode of masquerade dan because i was just thinking like, just so you're aware because you keep bringing up her age you don't bring up danny's age or phil banachek's age or even ian's age but fifi's age 67 67 67 we get it i I just, I'm just You're a misogynist. I'm imagining. <laughs> You're not. I'm, I'm imagining when I was a, a, a little kid. I'm imagining my aunt Rose being hired by the government, who was at that age at that time. I imagine her being hired by the government and told to drive through walls and such over and over again. I'd be really worried about my aunt Rose doing that because they're. Yeah, but this is this this is Fifi. This isn't Aunt Rose. This is Fifi. This is a woman who will talk to somebody who's good looking, even if they're a sex maniac. She yeah. lives on the edge. Yeah. The well, speaking of living on the edge, my the the moment of this episode that I just keep I I, I watch like five or six times to just verify whether I was crazy or not is the final scene where they're all in a hotel room and they're all standing <laughs> around there having a party. And you and so so Steve Garvey is chatting with Lavender. And you can see out the window, and you can see a building, and like they're clearly, it looks like they're seven or eight stories up. You can see a balcony over to the left. And then apparently, Fifi drives her car through the wall. And everyone just kind of laughs and smiles. And, and, and Yeah, and, and, it's so weird. Yeah, because they're, they, they, the whole time they haven't been out their 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 room isn't on the first floor it's a hotel it's a super swank hotel they wouldn't get a room on the first floor if there was if there were rooms on the first floor they they would get rooms higher up and we see them in a higher up room the entire time and then suddenly she drives my first thought was maybe they've got a psychic link with Fifi and she's just driven through a wall somewhere in town and they just know it Be- because we don't see the car so in good. the shot. <laughs> we don't see the car in the shot. But it's kind of implied that they're Tell watching somebody. her through the wall. Yeah, and, and oh, I'm looking at it right now. There, there. Yeah, there it is. They're all, They're not. They're not anywhere near the ground. How does she do that, Fifi? That's amazing. She's she's that, that good. But you know, Fifi's other gift is that she's really good at throwing parties. And there's this really great scene where, like, so she runs into Steve Garvey, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you're Steve Garvey." So later, they're all the people who are part of this undercover project are uh, he's staying on the same floor as Mako and um, Linda Day George's character's name I can never remember. And and they're like, um, "Hey, it's Steve Garvey's birthday." Let's have a party, a bunch of strangers. So they're so they're singing happy birthday and they're being really obnoxious in the hallway. And Mako's like, hey, Linda Day George, you should really go out there and <laughs> see what's happening. And she's standing there looking very serious. And Fifi just turns to her and she says, what, are you still a Dodgers fan? 
Yeah. And it's hilarious. Yeah, it's true. hilarious. And then, and she's like, Steve Garvey, it's your birthday. Can we come in? And Steve Garvey's like, well, yeah. Of course, Fifi, come on in. And they have to come in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Steve Garvey has there's no purpose in this episode at all except to have that big, beautiful smile and like yes. walk around a little. I think with Steve Garvey, it's not only that they can use him as a celebrity to call out, uh, call attention to him, but there's also the uh, uh, the fact that um, uh, Mako does say, "Oh, these ninjas would give their right arm or their souls if they had souls to meet Steve Garvey," because I guess he played in a game exhibition game in Japan. So it's ninjas who are. <laughs> dress in Hawaiian shirts, and are interested in meeting Steve Garvey. These are very specific ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they're really into that. They're also, they're also ninjas who um, call out sick because so sushi's job is to make sushi. That's like incredible and nobody can turn down. And but then he's poisoned it, so they all start to fall ill. And I think, uh, he doesn't say it exactly this way, but James Shigeti's character is like, oh, a couple of the ninjas called out. And... <laughs> You're like, really? Can you do that? Because he says it like they've fallen sick, but it's like, it's like, can you really call out sick as a ninja? I mean, I never thought about that before. And and like, what is that phone call like? See, you can send emails now, but like, that's the easiest way to call out, right? But like, like, what is Mako's reaction when that ninja calls out sick? And then a second ninja calls out sick, were they partying? You know what I mean? And so like all these questions come up. But anyway, he's like, two ninjas fell ill, so we're down two ninjas, guys. And and um, and it's beautiful. And yeah, I wonder if they get vacation time. I would bet they do. I I, I bet Mako thinks they're out partying with Steve Garvey. Is what it is. That that would be my thought. Oh, they might be. Uh, I'm thinking now about the Ninja Christmas holiday Christmas party. Do you think that they take photocopies of their butt? <laughs> Probably. Probably. Stel- stealthily. Yeah, no, no, one, no one ever knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, you <laughs> so sort much of, fun to be a ninja. You you sort of kind of defeat the purpose of being stealthy and a ninja by dressing in Hawaiian shirts. Although I guess maybe in Hawaii dressing in a Hawaiian shirt as a ninja would be kind of stealthy because no one would expect it. So I don't know. There are different rules, different rules for different countries. Uh, Oh, um, you know what I thought of when, when Fifi went through that, through the wall, my first thought was, is this like that car chase and freebie in the bean that ends with, um, I forget where they, the, it ends in like a parking garage or something and their car goes off the parking garage and then it cuts to like a couple sitting in their bedroom watching TV like on a fifth story and all of a sudden the car comes through the wall. I was wondering if something like that where there's like, <laughs> oh, an, God. Where there's like an adjacent building and Fifi was like driving up a ramp or something and accidentally went off the ramp, flew across the street and through the wall. That could be, it's Fifi. Anything's possible. Fifi could have killed like 8,000 people. Like, you know, and they're laughing. Like, they don't know what's happening in that room. But she destroys it. She does. She does. She absolutely. And there's like a, there's a TV in the foreground. You think, don't hit the TV. She hits yes. the TV. Yeah, she tears that room up. Uh, and it's it's the, it's kind of the bedroom, isn't it? Or no? Did I see a bed in there? I, I'm trying to justify well, it in my head. Yeah, but... but... Where, where... It depends on how expensive the hotel room is because a lot of hotel rooms just have a bed in the room and some of them are yeah. suites, so I don't really know where they are. If they're in the room with the rest of the cast, then it would be a suite, obviously. But if it's just a hotel room, it's possible that it's just a room. I don't really know because they don't give you a full sense of space in it. Yeah. She just goes through it, and then people laugh, and then it ends, and then you're like, wee! Yeah, it, it almost looks like it could be for something... 
something completely. <laughs> it could be from something completely different, like like um, like Glenn A. Larson shot a scene for a show, a pilot that didn't get get picked up for series where a car goes through a wall, and he's like, "Perfect, I can finally use this shot." Put that in there. You never know with that Larson character. He's he's yeah. like Fifi. He's edgy. You're never sure what he's gonna do. <laughs> Yes, with his with his ninjas and his I I like the fact that yeah the, the one guy's purpose there is just to make sushi and sprinkle some like sleeping powder or something on it I I thought at first they yeah were gonna something have him, on there I I thought at first they were gonna have him do that thing with um uh, I don't know why I thought this with like what is it like the sea urchin or whatever it is where if you cook it wrong you can either really hurt people or kill them I thought he was gonna do something like that where it was like Cook it a little wrong so all the ninjas get sick. But instead, you just see him like sprinkling powder on top of everything. It's just, it's so weird because, like, I don't know how they arrange the food and for him to do it because it's not like, it, did they have to call for it? And if so, then mm-hmm. Mr. Lavender had to get him into the hotel staff. You know what I mean? And if they did it on the side, then he's just bringing food around to people who didn't ask for it, which would already be a red flag. So I don't understand exactly how he got away with it, but he did. They they, they do make a point of saying that the Banachek's, they got them onto the the, the window washer painter company that works for the building. But yeah, the sushi guy, guy, he just kind of shows up with sushi and like knocks in the door and the ninjas are like, hey, and sushi, it's good. And we're sick. And... Yeah, I, I like this is just a random strolling sushi chef who just we have a sushi. Yeah, chef he just comes walk, through. He just walks. And they can't wait to eat it. Yes, they're they're they can't they're, wait. They're all like all of them come to the door. They're eating it at the door, and boy, these ninjas! They you think they'd be more patient as ninjas, or they they don't act like ninjas? I guess is what it comes down to. They don't, and and also like when Fifi crashes the car the first time, when all the ninjas go out to investigate what happened, that blonde lady who's we don't know who the hell she is, she takes a bunch of photos of them so that they can see that they've got hearing devices. Yes. And that's kind of a tip off that doesn't go the way I think it's going to because so the senator arrives and he's like, okay, I've sold all this stuff and I'm liquidating my assets and whatever, and I'm gonna pay for my daughter. And so there's this agent named Agent Watkins, who's played by Paul Manti, who you might know best as Robinson Crusoe on Mars, and also Buck Rogers and things like that. And he's this agent who's come sort of with the senator, and he gives him this ear device. Mm-hmm. And he says, put this on, and we'll, we'll be able to stay in contact with you. And Mr. Lavender looks at the ear device, and then he senses something but doesn't really do anything about it at first. And so my initial thought was we've seen the ear devices on the ninjas, so Palmanti must somehow be tied in with the Yakuza. Mm -hmm. But it turns out he's not. He just gave him an earpiece that will explode should the senator decide to exchange himself instead of the money and sell secrets. And so basically he's going to blow up his head if – he decides to do that. So, and it's, and it, but it doesn't make sense. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense because they focused on those earpieces. Yeah. On the ninjas earlier, but then there's no real reference to them later. And then they use a similar earpiece on the senator, but it's not even tied to the ninja earpiece. So it's, it's all like, it's like they had five earpieces and they had four for the ninjas. 
when they were yeah. setting up the scenes. And then they had this extra one. They said, oh, we only had four ninjas today. So what are we going to do? Well, this earpiece would be really great on the senator. And what if it blew up, guys? What if it blew, what if it blew up? up? Okay, let's give him the earpiece <laughs> yeah, so I love that. He's like, you're gonna you're gonna explode his head, or so he says something really ridiculous, like Mr. Lavender. <laughs> like that's just like a thing. Like I never thought of an exploding headphone before. <laughs> it's like it's like scanners, but you do it manually instead of um, with your mind. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say I don't really understand the Banachecks either. Like they're supposed to peep in windows, mm-hmm. and they can't really see anything, so they get this infrared machine yes. to look through the window. But couldn't anybody have done that? Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I applaud, I, I really feel like with this episode, maybe Glenn A. Larson, like, came up with, like, he was just walking down the street, and he was like, uh, lady who gets in accidents, uh, mm, I like sushi, sushi chef, hey, there's some guys up the, uh, wall there, window washers or painters, uh, and he just wrote down, like, four or five different things, and then came up with a plot that went with it, because occasionally it seems a bit, a little strange, um, and like, uh, we'll have Steve Garvey because he said he wants to be on my show because he loved Auto Man so much. Actually, Auto Man hadn't come out yet. Oh, Auto Man was just on at this time, but he loved Manimal well, so much well, he wanted to be on I the think, show. I think Steve Garvey was looking at getting into acting because what I remember him being in, and I don't know what his filmography looks like, but he was in The Ice Cream Man with Clint Howard. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, I feel. I think maybe Steve Garvey was putting his feelers out in this era. Like, you know, I'd really like very much to be in a TV show or in a movie and he's movie star handsome so why not and he's good he's actually very good in the part of playing himself but it's like it's like I think maybe Steve Garvey called Glenn A. Larson and said hey you know I'd really like to be on TV and Glenn A. Larson was like how can I work Steve Garvey into my show hey what if he plays himself and it turns out ninjas love him (laughs) I did that connection because TV I had, TV and film is all about yeah. what if. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you want to ask the question, what if, right? Like, what if um, this these star-crossed lovers found a way to be together? What if this criminal fell in love with somebody who was supposed to be his victim, right? Mm-hmm. What if Steve Garvey is a hero to the ninjas, right? <laughs> it's just, it falls into place. And it's something we've always suspected, but we've... Glenn A. Larson was the first one who said it out loud. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. So, who dared to speak its name? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, the, so anyway, they all do stuff, and nobody can figure out what they're doing. Girls wear bikinis because they're good at it. Guys mm-hmm. look in windows because they're good at it. Uh, Steve Garvey's good at being Steve Garvey, and a lady who drives through windows and somebody who takes photos. And it all culminates. It all comes together. In in a- in, a, in the use, finally, the use of the martial arts, and I, I yes. think, I think these are not the highest class of ninja, because ninja. That, that was the thing with the eighties: is ninjas are supposed to be. I mean, look at the opening fight scene in American Ninja when Michael Dudikoff just takes out like a dozen guys, just like just like that. That's the way ninjas are supposed to work. They're not supposed to be leaving a hotel elevator and then, like, two window painters, a lady who keeps running into <laughs> buildings, a sushi chef, and Miss Teen America, or wherever they were, beat the crap out of them. That's really not the way it's supposed to work. I don't even care if they well, get the drop on them. That's not the way ninjas are supposed well, to work. Well, some of the martial arts is literally just one of the girls putting her leg out so the ninja trips over her. Yes, that's, that's true. Like, yeah. what is that? 
Yeah, you would think you would think that would be something you'd always look for, like first thing to do, like first day. <laughs> if, that would be like first day of ninja class. The ninja teacher stands in the doorway, and you, as you walk out, he tries to trip you. And that's like that. You think that would be the first thing because they do it every day, or that thing where um you're standing there and they don't do this in the episode, but I wish they had. Like like if Mr. Banachek had, <laughs> got, had got if Mr. Banachek had got behind one of the ninjas and Phil Jr. had pushed the ninja and he fallen over, Mr. Banachek, they could have yeah. done that. That you feel like that's first day ninja, and maybe they could. I mean, because they're just two attractive women standing in a doorway and they trip two ninjas. You don't see that often. In ninja movies. That's what you do. That's what you do. But so, and at the same time, the senator is like heading out to the beach and he's like, I'm going to give myself to James Shigate, as we've all said at some point, <laughs> um, because he's so handsome. And, and, and I'm, I'm just ready. And so Paul Manti's character is like, okay, we're going to blow up his head. And Mr. Lavender's like, give him 30 seconds, okay? And so <laughs> he literally says that. And Paul Manti's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then 30 seconds pass. And he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So then Mr. Lavender decks Paul Manti. Yes. And luckily, in just the right amount of time. And so they've somehow, I can't even remember how um, they get Arlene. But he, so the senator doesn't realize that Arlene has been saved. And yes. oh, I guess they figured out that they're going to move her because yes. of the elevators are being turned yes. off and on and and yes. stuff. And so they, they managed to get her after they attack all the ninjas. And so he's like 30 seconds away from the beach. And... Uh, for meeting Mako, and and then they're like, hey, look over here, Senator, and then she's there, and she's like, hi, Dad, and he's like, oh, I'm not going to sell myself now, and so uh, Mako's like, oh, but you are, and he pulls out a gun, like, nobody thought he'd have a freaking gun, and so and so then he gets shot by somebody, a sharpshooter somewhere in Mr. Lavender, I guess, maybe, or somebody shoots Mako, I'm forgetting which Mr. one Lavender. it is, yeah, and, and then Linda did your, yeah, and he must have taken Paul Manti's gun and done it. And and then and Linda Day George is watching all this on the balcony, and she's like, I should probably leave. And so she turns around to go, and too late. Yeah. It's too late, Linda. Yeah, you, you when you turn to the, the, the side of it. Was Christopher, forgive me, was Christopher George still alive at this time? I forget when he passed. Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I wondered that myself, and I'm not positive and i didn't look it up and the thing is that this is not and i, I even hate saying this because she still looks beautiful but this is not the most beautiful linda day george has ever looked they're doing weird stuff with her lipstick and whatever. i noticed that but too. i kind yeah, of yeah i kind of felt like maybe there was something off and also though it was disturbing because i thought what if christopher georgia just died because she has like a serious makeout scene with james shigeta yes. and they take photos of it and and it obviously it's for TV and there's nothing scandalous about it. But I was thinking about the idea that her husband had just passed away and she's filming this scene yeah. of like making out with this guy. So I don't really know the timeline, but it does add like a weird air to the episode because I don't yes. know if he was still alive or not. Yeah, I feel this. This is this is in the vicinity of when he passed, but I'm not sure. I guess I guess we can check and we'll 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 you know what I'll check and I'll tell everyone at the end of this episode of the show. Okay, yeah, I, I'm curious to know, and I meant to look it up, but, uh, you know, I just didn't have time, and it kind of slipped my mind. But, yeah, there, there is – and I hate to say that about Linda Day George because, you know, I think she's so magnificent. But it mm. does feel like there's something off with her yeah. in this episode. Yeah. And I, I did just see on my TV screen, um, sushi, literally, he makes the sushi in their suite down the hall from the ninjas. 
So he he literally he he wheels a little tray out of his the hotel suite, goes four door do- doors down, knocks on the door. The door maybe they are they intercepting calls to the kitchen or something? Could that oh, be they. A- they maybe that's it because there was some phone work in there. Oh, there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on in these episodes. So if we're forgetting the occasional thing, please forgive us. Okay, so I looked it up. I got curious. Oh. This episode aired um, on December twenty ninth, nineteen eighty three, mm-hmm. but Christopher George would have died um, the month before oh. on November twenty eighth. But I don't know when they shot this. I don't yeah. know if they shot it four weeks or if it was way ahead of schedule. So it, it was around the vicinity, but he may have still been alive. Wow. I'm going to guess he was, because I don't really know that she did much after he passed away. Yeah. She didn't yeah. seem really up for acting after that. Um, so tragic. Um, yeah. but they were like the best couple ever. Oh, definitely. And it's oh, sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That so kinda, I... um, she... Oh, I'm sorry. She did do a couple of things after, but not mm-hmm. much. Yeah, it gives it kind of a, and knowing that, no, knowing this now, it feels a little bit more sad. But it gives a kind of a sad air around it uh, when you see her, and the fact yeah. that she's not a very pleasant character. And I don't want Linda Day to be like that. That's no, not I, my Linda Day. I I do because oh. Linda George is like a Barbie doll. She looks like this tiny, frail. I mean, when I say frail, I mean small. Like she's not frail, but she's mm-hmm. she's so delicate looking. She's so delicate and so perfect, and and she's so soft when she speaks, and mm-hmm. she's so feminine. And so when she plays bad guys, I really like it because mm-hmm. it's not what you're expecting. And so like yeah. she did this episode of uh, Vegas with um with Christopher George called oh, what's it called? It's got this great name. It's it's about a tennis match. So it's like love kill or something like that you know love is that term you use in tennis yeah. and um and she plays a bad guy in that and she's so magnificent as a, in the, as a bad guy and here she's really base because she's basically helping the yakuza kidnap women even if they're not killing them to put in to force them to make pornos i mean that's really dark you know and i i kind of like that she kind of embraced that character you know yeah. but then she she has some humanity, which doesn't make any sense. The whole thing with Ian. I wonder if her and Ian were maybe lovers or something. But like she, because he's really, he's really just as bad as she is, and he's and she's like, he's such a good kid, you know. But you're like, no, no Linda, he's not. He's not. The women he's kidnapping are good kids, but mm-hmm. um, not Ian. But he does fake surf really well. Yeah, he's one of the best fake surfers I've seen in a while. Well, I'm doing it now. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me move to the left and move to the right. Right, right in front of, He's just standing in front of, like, a wave. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's probably the same wave over and over again if we went and looked. When they, yeah, it's when amazing. They're, when they're rushing out of the uh, – when they grab Arlene and the, and the gals trip the two ninjas, there's a – I forgot to mention my favorite part of that scene. The trip is great. Uh, there are two favorite parts of that scene. One is that Steve Garvey is shown signing autographs for a bunch of kids in baseball uh, uniforms. And I'm That's wondering, right. and they're so perfectly placed, I'm wondering if they were hired by uh, Lavender in order to be oh. there. Hey, kids, can you dress up Ooh. in this? Or maybe maybe they're not kids. You know, maybe they couldn't risk kids. I don't know. But um, but they, they Well, they it, could it, risk it, teenage girls. 
True. Okay. Yeah. But whatever. We got. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot of kids. We got a lot of kids. Yeah. I, I like the fact they may have hired those kids. And um, although the editing's slightly off on it, there's a great moment where Steve Garvey is racing along the pool, and a ninja throws like a shuriken at him, and Steve Garvey's got his uh, baseball mitt on, and he oh. catches it, and then he throws the ball and beans the ninja in the head and knocks him in the pool. It's uh, very, very it's amazing. That is amazing. Yes. yes, it's very fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The the editing slightly off when when the the ninja gets hit in the head. It then cuts to a long shot of him falling in the pool, and he should have fallen in the pool faster because it looks like he gets hit in the head and he like goes eh? oh, and then falls. Yeah, it yeah. Been a little little faster. Yeah, there's a moment where like you're like I don't know what just happened, yeah, but slightly off. you know those ninjas. You know those ninjas. They have to think about things. <laughs> I'm going in. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. What what else do you have on this one? I think I may have covered everything I had. Well, I just want to say why I think this episode is outstanding, and that is that I think that this is only the third episode of Masquerade, but it's almost like somebody sat back and they said, you know what? This is a really ludicrous idea. The premise that we've cooked up is pretty good, but it's silly. Why don't we embrace how silly it is? It's kind of self-aware in a way. It's kind of like, I don't think it's really self-aware. It's it's unintentionally self-aware, but it's kind of like they're like, all right, look, this is ridiculous. Let's just do it. And so they created the most outlandish plot they could think of, and they got a bunch of actors who look like they're having a blast. And let's just have fun with this. Let's just be silly and play it straight. But but keep it light and and let's have fun and so it's it's just a joyous episode it's got great pacing it's 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 also easy like so the first two episodes we talked about it got difficult to remember who was doing what because these episodes there's so many people involved and you don't really know who's who and sometimes it's it's easy to lose the story here we clearly know what's happening and we have a pretty good idea of who the characters are. I think even though they don't, nobody's really spotlighted, you get a general, like, you know, Bronco's like this machismo guy, and him yeah. and his dad have this banter, and Fifi's this kind of like old lady that's like throwing everything out the window and just wants to have fun. And except for the blonde lady who we don't know her name, she takes photos, everybody is clearly somebody unique and a person. And like I said, it looks like everybody's having Fun. And so even Ian, who's like a sleazebag, looks like he's having a blast in the character, you know, Linda Day George, and everybody's just doing what they need to do. And and it's got this where that woman goes through the building and they just laugh about her destruction, you know, and it's almost like they're like, whatever, guys, let's just have a really good time. And I think it's like when we talked about Moonstalker on your drive and double feature. It's one of those things where you feel like just everybody's enjoying themselves. Yes. Yeah. I I I I do quite like the episode, and I I will say I I just had playing the scene where Fifi drives through the wall, and they are all standing in. It is like a suite, and she does drive into a bedroom, and uh, and it's weird because at the start of the scene when she starts to go through the wall and you hear this huge crash, they keep cutting to everyone, and everyone is like looking all around like they don't know where it's coming from. <laughs> Uh, but then eventually, for <laughs> yeah, the, they must for be the, on like, a different floor. Yes. So for the for the last shot, they finally like all look in the same direction and begin to laugh, and we freeze frame. So I'm dying to know if it's like maybe she she crashed into the bedroom, but they can't see it, but they know it's Fifi. That's how she shows up to parties. And so I, I just I just love <laughs> to know it's 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 one of those scenes where 
the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, Fifi. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, they're like eight stories off the ground. How is any of this happening? And it so doesn't make sense, but I just love it. And you're right. I, I think I, I think that, that like Glenn A. Larson wrote, I think he only wrote this one in the pilot. And so since he created the show, to me, the pilot is his him kind of saying, okay, here's the basic way the show works. And the pilot really isn't that kind of crazy. It's just they. It's if I remember no. correctly, it's like them, them trying to convince uh, the KGB that this guy who defected and now wants to come back is a little loopy and isn't like is a heavy drinker and a partier and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a very basic uh, premise to kind of sell the sell the 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 premise of the. Um, it's a very basic plot to sell the premise of the whole uh, series. But I like this. That this is Glenn A. Larson returning and going. Okay, now here's. We can do all of this. We can go this goofy. Here's the basic setup, and whoo, let's go nuts. And so, yeah, I, th- I think and this is a, this is a super fun episode. Is I think Lenny Larson co-created Magnum PI with Donald P. Belisario. Yes. And did. the thing is, is that Magnum would have really, really dark. I mean, really dark episodes, and it would have super light episodes, and the and each one is good in their own way. But, like, it's nice to have a TV series that does that, and it's hard to do because you're establishing yourself as a certain kind of show, so to throw something out like this is kind of daring. Um, so, like, but but it's okay because audiences want to be entertained in all kinds of different ways, and I think Lenny Larson got that. So, obviously, Magnum was a better written show, and it didn't have to deal with as many characters and stuff, but, like... Um, it, it's like he kind of understood, and I'm sure that there were Airwolves or other shows he created. Or I don't even know if he did Airwolf. That's probably Stephen J. Cannell. But, like, he understood that, like, um, well, he did Battlestar Galactica, right? And I'm not saying there were super yes. goofy Battlestar Galactica episodes, but for every Apollo, Buck he had Rogers, a Starbuck, yeah. right? So, yeah, true, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, like, oh, God, Buck Rogers is so good. Like, that show, show knew what it was in the first season. Like, yes. it was so self-aware. But, like, he knew he knew that you could mix things up a little and the audiences would enjoy it. And so I really appreciate them doing that here. And like I said, it's just like it, everybody's just having a blast and, and it's contagious. And pe- I think people, if they were to seek out a, one episode of Masquerade, this would be the episode I would recommend because I think you'd just be like, oh, my God, the 80s were wackadoodle, guys, <laughs> but in all the right ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, so far... So far, of, of the, all the ones I, when I'm just doing a quick scan through the, I haven't watched all of the episodes yet, but of the ones I've seen, this would probably be the one, rather than the pilot, because um, I don't know that you yeah. really need to. I don't really know that you need to spend that much time setting up the premise. I appreciate what he did with the pilot, um, but I think this may have sold the show a little better to people. I don't know, maybe not, but um, uh, let's see. Do, do you have anything else for this? Because I am, I am all out. I am all ninja'd out. Uh, just Steve Garvey's a honey, guys, and James Shigate is a honey. I mean, the dudes are hot. The dudes are hot. So, yeah. like, tune in because, you know, it's everything. And you have beautiful women. And Veronica from Killer Party. I mean, this is yes. the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is, might be yeah. the best hour of TV that's ever existed. <laughs> might be. It could. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, so, Amanda, we're uh, – <laughs> Oh, my God, that TV the... show. Are you going to do Check It Out? I would love to do Check It Out, but I you think it has check too it out? many – uh, I, I think I do. What, which check it out are you? Uh, is that the one to? with Don Adams? Was that oh, what you yeah, were saying? The no, che- uh, is that what it was called? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it was. Um, I'm gonna look that up. No, no, I know the show you're talking about. I used to watch it regularly. It was on USA Network or something like that. Um, yeah. Oh, checking out or check? Checking out. Check. I think it was checking out. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to look. 
I'll have to look. Uh, see how many episodes. When you were singing, when you were singing that song, it sounded like you were singing the theme to it, and I was like, oh. MG, because I watched like every episode of that show, and I don't think I laughed but once. <laughs> I don't even know if I laughed once. But I was I, uh... obsessed with it. Yes. Yeah, it was like it was like Mama's Family. Like nobody knows why it exists, but we tuned in every week. And there's this. And sorry, I know this is derailing, but there's this really oh, no. great. The only time I ever laughed was there was this uh, guard at the supermarket that everybody worked at, and um, somebody had parked in the guy, main manager. He was this young guy, the manager, and somebody parked in his space, and he said, hey, somebody somebody parked in my parking space, security guard. Can you do something about it? And he said, well, what kind of car do you have? What kind of car is there? And he said, it's a BMW. And so the guard says, can you spell that? The uh, manager guy's like, um, B M W. So then the, the guard gets on the speaker, and he said, would the guy in the bimois Please move your car. And it made me laugh for like a year. Like I'm still laughing at that line. I think, yeah, that that was one of those shows that would show up and you'd, uh, yeah, I remember it was on like Wednesday night or something where I was, or so, it was on like a random, random night in the middle of the week. And I, I, I watched it, I think because of Don Adams, but I stayed for the, the, I don't know what I stayed for, but I stayed. I couldn't, I mean, it was it, one, of the, one of those it shows. It wasn't good. Yeah, no. It wasn't it, it good, was, but I, I think I've seen every episode. Same here, yeah. Um, so, so Amanda, where can we find you online, or what's going on? you got a lot of stuff going on. T- tell us what's up. I do. I'm not sure when you're going to run this, though, so I guess it's just best to direct you to my social media, just because who knows what's going to happen. But, like, um, I do, I'm working a lot, and a lot of stuff's been announced, and a lot of stuff hasn't, and so maybe it's just easier if people go on my Twitter or my Facebook, because that's where I'll post everything, or my now we have an Instagram. So... Um, you can find me on Twitter at Made for TV Mayhem. You can find me on Facebook at either uh, Made for TV Mayhem or if you want to listen to the podcast that Dan and I do with our friend Nate, uh, you can go to the Made for TV Mayhem show and like us there. I don't do as much posting on updates there, but if you want to follow that podcast, that's a good place for us. And also, I just started an Instagram, which is to promote everything that I do if I can. Um, and that's just at Made for TV Mayhem. Um, I will say something that I'm doing right now is uh, that I'm collecting as many titles as I can off Amazon Prime that are TV movies that are currently streaming on that site. And they have a really, really good library of stuff. Some really weird stuff, some really good stuff, some really famous stuff. And if you join my Instagram, I have created... So I put them up. You can do these little Instagram stories. So I put them in an Instagram story every time I, I... like pick a title to tell you is streaming on Amazon Prime, but then I've added it to what's called the highlights. So you can just click on the highlights and you can see all the different things that are streaming currently on Amazon. So um, that's kind of a project that I'm doing that might be of interest. And I've also started blogging again. So you can find me at madefortvmayhem.com as well. So just look for Made for TV Mayhem and you'll find me. So uh, that is Girls for Sale, the third uh, uh, episode of Masquerade. And what's that? Wait, wait a second, everybody. Oh, there's a very nice guy at my door, and he's got a tray full of sushi. I'm going to go have some of this. You guys stay tuned for this. Talk to you then. And that was episode 71 of Avengers Super Train, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Ouch. Uh, where are we online? Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com. 
at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter, eventually SuperTrain over on Facebook. Uh, email me at, well, email me at my, my email address, Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, slacks at yahoo.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a rating. Feel free to leave a review. It's all wonderful. It's all fantastic. It all makes me go... It isn't easy going like that. You'll be honest. I do, it's much easier. Yes, like that. But in the good way. The good, you know, the good strangled scream. You know what I mean. So uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And next up, uh, episode 72. Uh, more eerie, more bourbon, more uh, masquerade. And it will actually be our third anniversary show. And it'll be full of laughs. So everyone, I will talk to you next time. Be good to yourself. And remember... Hey everybody, it's Dan. I know you thought the episode was over. Nikki Cox was the name of the actress who's in the Erie, Indiana episode. She's been in a whole ton of stuff. She was in a show called... Um, Unhappily Ever After. She had her own show called Nikki. She was in a show called Las Vegas. She'd done lots of stuff. Um, yeah. She's been around for ages. She's done tons of stuff. She was in Mac and Me, uncredited. What? Oh, she was in Run, Ronnie, Run. Yeah, she did lots of stuff. You'd know her if you saw her. And, um, I'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs>